Well, it's officially happy holidays, and you won't offend anyone if you say that now, because there are those that like to let their calendar get past Thanksgiving and, and say, okay, now you can decorate for whatever your holiday is in December, and I approve it. Look, we approve you listening, and we're certainly glad that you found us. Amateur Hour, Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton, the only podcast committed to amateur baseball. Every two weeks, we're glad to be back with you. We trust you're safe wherever you may be traveling. Thanks for finding us. We love this show. Um, and we found ourselves in a little bit of a, of, a, of a niche, if you will, of going high prospect college player, high prospect uh, high school player, and we're at it again. In Southern California, the San Diego area, Marcelo Meyer lives and uh, very strong and passionate about his Mexican heritage. And, and Danny, it's, it's true, this gifted left-handed hitting shortstop who may be you know, a top 10 pick overall, you, you certainly understand where he lives in San Diego, but this is a man who is proud to be Mexican, not Mexican-American. He is proud of his family in Mexico. One of the hardest parts about his holidays have been not being able to be with them to celebrate as he would in his home country. Darren, I think he's as passionate about baseball as he is his family. And we went really in depth with the people that are in his family, the way that they celebrate, what it looks like and sounds like when they get together. And to be honest, I don't know too many people that I've seen play the game with as much fun um, and, and just happiness as Marcelo Meyer does. And he may have the best hair. You hear me, Marcelo, the best hair <laughs> in the game. There's a lot going on there. So we loved getting to know Sal Freelich. This is a young man, Boston through and through, went to BC games growing up. And I mean, BC hockey, BC football, BC baseball. And now he goes there. He goes to Boston College. Haven't heard of him? Well, you're not alone. No one else had heard of him out of high school. He said, scouts didn't talk to me at all. He now may be a very high first round pick. Outfielder, Boston College. Very strong and passionate Italian heritage. Sister plays at Duke softball. Brother cross town, Nico at Northeastern. I love Sal. This was awesome. Okay, so when you Google his name, you're going to see all these incredible things about football. He was Gatorade Football <laughs> Player of the Year, 52 touchdowns as a senior, and now he's making his name in baseball. And I think that he's going to be making pretty loud waves with the way he plays the game, his confidence and his faith. I think that he is, is really passionate about all three of those things and his family. I mean, I'd like to sit at the table for a meal with his family, Darren. What about you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's just one <laughs> meal I don't have to pay for. Plus I get to hear a little bit about the passion in their home. Mom, dad, both college athletes excited about the Freelix getting to know them. So Hunter Pence, we always steal a swipe of Hunter Pence and um, our great college baseball show on Sirius XM heard every Tuesdays channel 84 on Sirius XM's ESPNU but Hunter Pence is my co-host and he got going with Eric Wedge you remember him certainly catching in the major leagues catching for a national championship Wichita State team but also managing in the big leagues for the Indians managing in the big leagues for the Seattle Mariners this is just straight old-fashioned blue collar, old school baseball talk. The two could have wandered off forever and talked old school baseball. I'm doing that voice, old school baseball. <laughs> and you know, what's great too, is so we have Marcelo and Sal, and then we get a guy like Eric, Eric Wedge with Hunter Pence, and it's just nitty gritty, those two going at it. And the balance is, is awesome. It is going to be a treat for you all listening today. Our Scout's Eye segments are diverse and fun. Brian Sikowski will join us. 
He'll talk about the best 21s in the country in high school and the best 21s in Michigan. I love that. I, I love that he did that. Uh, get a chance to talk with, um, you know, David Ronsley, get his perspective, VP of player personnel for PG. He's going to give you the best he's ever seen in person pitchers pre-2010, post-2010. Love that. A little history lesson. So we have some great scout size segments. We, we love what our scouts bring to the table. Yeah, I'm excited to have Ronsley on this week and give him a chance to shine where he really does best. And that is looking back at some of the incredible names that have come through Perfect Game and the arms. It's really nice to relive those moments with him because the details that he remembers, Darren, I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday. This guy's remembering a decade ago. And, and, and our final guest, I'm going to take a little bit of, of a piece of an interview I had with a young man by the name of Juju Stevens from PerfectGame.tv, our Safe at Home segment. And it was a video, but the audio plays very well. This is a Mizzou commit, a very talented Mizzou Ooh. commit who has been on Broadway, has been an understudy on Broadway, and he will sing you into the holidays better than anybody can. And that's, that's the lineup, top to bottom, you've found us. Uh, as we always say, subscribe. We need more subscribers out there. Rate, unsubscribe, subscribe again. But let's get rolling with the content. This is a fun one. Amateur Hour. This one titled, Back in Boston Again? Our first guest of the podcast is Marcelo Meyer. And I couldn't have been more excited when Darren suggested that we bring you on to our brand new show, Amateur Hour because the time that I've spent with you and the moments that I got to watch you play, first of all, it looks like you're having more fun than anyone I've ever seen play the game of baseball. Your, your heart is so full. You can tell you're so passionate for this game and you have a, a very um, you know, interesting background. You have a very um, filled life. You, you played many other sports, but you've settled on baseball now. And it's a really important time in your life. But I want to talk about where you come from and why you are the way that you are, because you are so special. So your family from Mexico, you still have family in Mexico right now. Tell us about your family. Give us a picture, like give us all the good details um, about what you remember from Mexico and, and life um, there and your family. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean um, we come from a little town called Nogales. It's split into a border of Arizona and Mexico. So I would say three fourths of my family lives on the Arizona side and the other fourth on the Mexican side. So holidays are pretty fun. You know, we all get together, both families have a big party, stuff like that. New Year's is also like that. And then there's some baseball background in my family. My tío played, who just passed away like a year ago, was a, like one of the best shortstops ever to play in Mexico. And he, I guess you could say he's a legend. So it's pretty cool. Family, it's interesting. So if I went to a Meyer family Christmas um, and all the other you know family names that are tied to your extended family, if I went to, which you unfortunately probably won't have this year, but a year ago or two ago, if I was with you and I was just coming, come on, Sut, you're coming with me. Um, what would describe the room, describe the experiences, describe the food, describe the conversation, describe life at one of those family gatherings? Yeah, it's a beautiful environment. You know, there's mariachi playing in the back. You know, sometimes we bring our, our own mariachi and then there's a taquero outside, carne asada, whatever you want. And then obviously the tamales for Christmas, you know, it's a great environment. Everyone's getting along. Everyone's like having a good time and it's a blast. 
So what makes our country for my money, and being a West Coaster like you, I grew up just north of, of where you're at, um, is the diversity of our country. But we're also all proud of our heritage. All of us are. Um, for you, what are some of the most you know, strong points of pride for being a Mexican-American, for being someone who has all of his roots in Mexico? What are some of the characteristics? Look, you can talk to Midwestern kids and they'll say, hey, I'm from Chicago and this is what I love about being a Midwesterner. What do you love about being a Mexican-American? What are some of the characteristics of pride for you? I mean, everything. Just it's, it's, I'm proud to say that I'm Mexican. You know, the environment, it's just different from over here. You know, both, I would, both environments are good, but the Mexican one is just a little bit more special to me. Why, though? Why? Like I said, the, just the music, it's more touching to me. You know, like, for example, you know, like pretty much all my, all my Christmas parties and all the parties we have as a family, there's like a good... 20 minutes where all of us are just crying due to the music that's playing. So it's, we're all super close. So Marcelo, when we talked earlier this year, I said, give me some adjectives to describe yourself. You said energetic, smooth, and exciting. And I know, you know, Darren and I, when we watched you play and have watched you in different events, um, I think there's just like a vibe about you that you bring. So if you can do me a favor, use those three words and describe which parts of your game are energetic, which parts are smooth, and which parts are exciting? Okay, energetic, I would say, you know, when I'm out on the field or in the dugout, you know, just messing around with my teammates. And then the smooth part of my game is me actually playing, you know, my swing, you know, the way I feel the ground ball. And then I forgot, what was the last one you said? Exciting. <laughs> you said it. She, she, you said it. You reminded me. I mean, I would say exciting is probably just my all-around game, you know, how I run the bases, you know, just the way I play or the way someone watches me play in a, any given day. And a quick follow-up, if I can. So that was a few months ago. What adjective can you add to yourself now? How else can you describe yourself? Because I know that you've grown since we've seen you. I mean, I would say, I would say it's kind of the same thing. I don't, I don't really know much what what more to add you know so i would just say I, I do that every time i take the field so i would say it's pretty much it's the same okay so in that same vein though and and exactly what danny is asking um from march ish when all of us stopped doing everything we're used to doing until now where have you grown your baseball game the most maybe you can't come up with an adjective to describe it but where have you grown your baseball game the most? What aspect of your game has improved the most since everything went south for all of us? I would say my strength in the weight room, you know. I took a lot of time this summer to actually improve my my strength, which is something I wasn't able to do last summer or any summer before because, you know, you know how summer ball is, you know, right when summer ball starts, you're going all across the country and you don't really have time to practice or improve your own, your own game. So I really use that downtime period to, you know, get stronger and get faster. When I bumped into you in Fort Myers, hung out in your dugout, there's definitely, as a Californian, there's a California vibe with the San Diego show. There's a way a California player plays. Whether that's fair or not, there is a, a cool, like you talked about, kind of a confidence uh, in the approach. But the trust you guys had with one another with that San Diego show team, Luis Lorenzana was one of the leaders that day when I ran into you. Uh, for those who don't know anything about the San Diego show, if I gave you the floor and said, describe the travel ball program to me, uh, you can use anecdotes, you can use examples, but describe the show, what they've been to you from your eyes, from your perspective. 
yeah, and props to the San Diego show. You know, they did a tremendous job in putting us out there during the pandemic because, you know, California teams, we didn't really travel. So the show did an amazing job of still putting up very good practices, uh, very good inner squad games that actually scouts were coming to watch, you know. So they did a really good job with that. And then, I mean, this show team, I would say it was just more special than any other show team that I've played with, even though I only played one the year before. You know, due to the pandemic, you know, we were able to practice so much more together. You know, we were really able to talk about this pandemic and how, you know, we'd always be talking about at practice how bad we wanted to hit the field with each other. And then when we did, it was just special, you know, and we all had a blast. Kind of piggybacking off of that, Marcelo, we've talked to, you know, far and wide, everyone who works in sports, plays a sport, and how they've grown from this experience, what the silver lining is. And this is obviously a really important time for you right now. And, um, you know, we're hoping that you get to have your senior season. We don't know what's going to happen yet, but um, 2021 is a big year for you. If someone didn't know you before the pandemic, post-pandemic, or next year, you know, what do you think you've gained from this moment? And how does that help you in whatever path comes next for you. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I think I've gained like more, I think I've bettered my skills as a baseball player. Like I said, you know, with me being able to work out, you know, and get, because like I said, not just in summer, but in high school ball too, you know, in the spring, you're not really like you, or for me, I don't really have time to work out, you know, cause we have to balance school as well as games or practices where I'm getting home at like seven o'clock at night. So really there's only a short a short time span where you can work out and this pandemic gave me the opportunity to work out more than I'm able to so I would say that's that's what's probably helped me the most when you're working out what kind of music are you listening to what's what's blasting and, and who's around Should, kind of give us the scene of these workouts that you're doing it depends what I'm feeling you know sometimes I'm feeling like it's on and then sometimes I'm just classic rock maybe or sometimes um just some some modern hip-hop music I usually lean a little bit to the reggaeton side because it just has a good rhythm to it, you know? So, and then, like I said, the gyms are all closed here. So I'm, I'm working out in my room. There's no much more to it right here. This is where I work out. So nice. It's a little space, but I get it done. Yeah. Yeah. You roll your R's very well, by the way, that's very authentic the way you roll your R's. (laughs) Very well done. I'm only Latin by marriage. So I I married a, a lovely Chilean woman. So I'm only Latin by marriage. But I'm learning. I'm learning to roll the R's. Tell me about your dad. If I were to uh, ask you just to, you know, take a few moments if I just bumped into you. I know he played, certainly. Um, but there's way more to him than that he played. I don't ever want to just go right to that he played. You know, what are some of the things he's passed on to you? Why are you a better man because of him? I mean, my dad has done so much for me. You know, he's my, he's my mentor. He's my role model. You know, ever since, I'm four, ever since I was born, he's the one that gave me the plastic bat you know, the wiffle ball to play around in the house. And, you know, he's been the one that's been taking me to the park since I'm four years old, you know, as I'm getting older, you know, taking me at nine o'clock, just me and him practicing when no one's looking. So, you know, I owe a lot, a lot of thanks to him. And I I guess you could say he, he pretty much created me as a baseball player and as a person as well as with my mom. Your mom, is it Miriam? Is that correct? Miriam. Yeah, tell me, tell me about her. Dive in deep a little bit on who she is as a human being. I see, obviously, people will hear this only, but we can see one another right now when we talk. I actually see a, a crucifix over your shoulder as well. Something tells me dad and mom, you know, drive faith in your home as well. But tell me a little bit about your mom, Miriam. 
yeah, you know, my mom is super religious as well as my dad and my whole family. You know, we're a very religious family. We take it very serious, you know, and I think, you know, it's helped me a lot. You know, it's helped me achieve what I, what I have, you know, and I, you know, she's made me, she's made me the person I am today as well off the field. I would say my dad is more on the field as well as he is off the field, you know, but, you know, she's really helped me like shape me as a person off the field, you know, just believing in God, you know, everything happens for a reason is what she always says. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to find by the way, a, a mass sometimes on the road when you play travel ball, there are, there are times when it's challenging uh, to find it. That's the one thing I will say about travel sports. It doesn't always lend itself to faith. So you kind of have to quietly have your faith when you're out traveling. It's hard to find mass on the road sometimes. Yeah. I mean, just to put it in perspective right now, you know, all the churches are closed here. So we actually like hear church on the TV, you know, or like my mom will like, like a priest will live stream a church in Mexico, you know, and then we'll up upload it onto the TV and we'll all be in the living room watching it every Sunday. So, you know, we, we rarely miss, miss church, you know, that's how serious we take it. And family meals, you know, have you spent time in the kitchen? Are you helping? Are you leading the way you're laughing? What's going on in the kitchen? No, that's, that's what my mom does. You know, she's, she's a very good cook. I guess she's, I mean, I would say she's probably the best cook in the world, you know, because everything she makes, I love. People ask me, what's your favorite food? I just say whatever my mom makes in any given day, you know, so she really loves to cook and she's very good at it. So I just leave it up to her. I don't really step in the kitchen as much. That's a good answer. This is a smart yeah, answer. The only thing I make is cereal. That's the only thing I make. <laughs> but somehow you're better than that. I can be if I tried. Yeah. Yeah, don't 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 settle. Don't settle for just cereal. Come on, Marcelo. Maybe someday. Maybe someday I'll. <laughs> all right now. Yeah, that's incredible. How does one handle like I could print out all these things I'm showing you and and notes about you, and it's pretty easy to research you on the internet. Though you're quite reserved. I mean, in this year we've gotten to know you, and it takes a while to get to know you. I think that's by design, and that, I think that's a good thing. How do you handle with a click, one click, your name? fills the internet everyone's got an opinion on you heck team blogs are saying what's this what's this Meyer guy like what if we the twins picked him what if we the Padres picked him how does one handle that how how do you handle that keep perspective and yet still get a little excited about it there's no rules that you can't get excited about it how do you balance that yeah I mean you know I don't I don't really try to pay attention to that stuff you know I, I don't think I've gone on one of those blogs or anything you know sometimes I'll see something on Twitter and, you know, it is exciting, you know, for someone to talk about you, it's very exciting. And, you know, it, it kind of cheers you up a little bit and motivates you a little bit more as well. Sometimes people are going to talk bad about you, you know, and that's what's going to happen when you're, when you're good at something. So, you know, I really like it, but at the same time, it's not something I really pay attention to. Uh, looking back throughout this year, what's the thing that you're most proud of about yourself? Just the way just the way we've like I've stayed together with my family I would say you know these hard times me and my family you know we're super close so we've been super super close and tight throughout this you know time and pandemic love it Darren yeah I just I just wanted to wrap by 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 kind of talking a little bit about your evolution as a baseball player and the one thing I'm always curious about is someone who never had velocity you know I pitched professionally but through 88 on my high side is how a hitter handles velocity. From you, the, the guy that was at the, you know, the 14U West Memorial Day Classic in 2017, 
when you were raking, the velocity is different now. Strategically, physically, preparation related, how does one grow as a hitter to where you can handle 92 to 95? How does that happen? Give me some technique. Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture between, you know, making adjustments, you know, and then just like getting bigger and stronger, you know, like I would say when I'm, when I was 13, I wouldn't be able to catch up to 92 or 95 right. like, you know, just because my strength, you know, and my quick twitch muscles wouldn't, wouldn't allow me to whip the bat through as fast, you know? So that's just a little example. And then, you know, you have to make adjustments, you know, as my first tournament seeing 90, I guess I had a big load, you know, I was being late. I was late on all the fastballs, which was making me extremely early on all the off speed, you know? So you got to find a good balance with your load and timing. And I, I would say timing is the most important thing as a hitter especially facing velocity when someone could change speed between 95 to, to 83, 84. So I always in the fall and into the spring have been talking about these at-home visits that players get, prospects get, um, and it's different this year. You're talking just like we are. We're looking at each other on Zoom and uh, major league teams are reaching out to you. What's that experience like? I'm sure there are questions that you never thought you'd be asked. I'm sure none of them are out of line, but right up against it at times. What are some of the more unique questions or thought processes you've been asked about? Or maybe something that, oh my gosh, this has nothing to do with baseball. I never thought I'd be asked this. Where has that gone? I mean, I think it's a very cool experience. It's, it's, it's exciting. You know, you get to, you open your Zoom and they let you in the meeting and there's like six guys there with the general manager, you know, it's, it's adrenaline starts pumping, you know, and it's really exciting, you know. And, I mean, the meetings are just – they just want to get to know you, you know. They do ask some tricky questions sometimes, but, I mean, it's just for them, you know. I feel like, you know, it's the best way to get to know somebody, and, I mean, they, they do it the right way. So, yeah, and it's, it's very fun. It's very fun for me, and I, I imagine it's fun for them as well. Dude, thank you so much for your time and spending, you know, your Saturday afternoon with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Every couple of weeks on this podcast, we ask, and we're certainly glad we do, Perfect Game Scouts to open up their notebooks and just share their wisdom, and we call it Scouts Eyes. This week, Brian Sikowski takes a peek at his home state as it pertains to the top 21s in the draft, his home state, Michigan. Hey, everyone. Brian Sikowski from Perfect Game here, National Scouting Supervisor. Talk to you a little bit about the, the top of the 21 class as it pertains to the draft. But seeing as I'm a native Michigander and native Metro Detroiter, uh, of course I'm going to talk about the state of Michigan uh, for the 2021 class. And there's nowhere else to start but with Alex Mooney at the top of the class, one of the best players in the country regardless of state. Potential first-rounder next year. He's, a, he's an Orchard Lake St. Mary's kid, uh, committed to Duke. Just a, a really overall type of profile. This guy does everything well. Uh, he's a brilliant student, really good kid really good makeup, uh, the work ethics off the charts. And it, there's really nothing below average, uh, even if there's really not like a super loud tool to hang your hat on. He doesn't do anything below average. He does everything kind of in that 50 to 60 range on, on the scouting scale, the 20 to 80 scouting scale. So uh, a guy there who could go uh, potentially as high as the top half of the first round. Right now it's looking more like – kind of in that 20 to 40 range, but we still have a long ways to go, and he's got a long spring. Um, after Mooney, it, it's Micah Ottenbright, uh, the Trenton High School guy, the Downriver guy like myself. Uh, he really came on like gangbusters this summer. Um, was a guy we'd known about, Michigan State commit, but really all we had on him heading into this summer, uh, this past summer, 
was, hey, tall, lanky, righty, up to 90, projects well. That was kind of it. That was the whole profile. And then he came to PG National. It was 90-94 with a really loose and easy arm and a good curveball and a good changeup. And um, the, the fastball command wasn't quite there. The fastball command wasn't quite there at the end of the fall either at WWBA, but the quality of the off-speed stuff, the projection on the body, the overall upside is really loud. Uh, and that's a guy who could be a top five rounder or so uh, this coming summer. And then kind of the elder statesman um, who's kind of forgotten a little bit, it seems like, is Luke Lito. Uh, this is a guy from Portage, the west side of the state, who when he was 14, 15, he was one of the one of the top players in the country, just a freaky, freaky athlete, a uh, two-way player at the time. And now he's, he's more of a bat, um, kind of maybe a third base, first base, corner outfield type of defensive projection. But it's a, it's a really smooth left-handed swing. He's still a good athlete. He still has plenty of bat speed. There's a lot of power projection there. Um, an LSU commit who really has an impactful offensive game. And as he continues to sort of refine that and get into that power a little bit more, you, you could be looking at a really, really special power hitter long term. So I missed the player that played at the Jupiter event. It was actually in Fort Myers this year, the Worldwood Bat Association World Championship. Everyone said you have to go see Connecticut's best Juju Stevens play. Julian Stevens is his given name. But the one thing I knew I could do was watch him on video afterwards. Thank you, Synergy, for all the great clips. And I knew I could connect with him. And recently, I did. And it was a wonderful conversation. See, this is a unique athlete because uh, his entire family are artists. And whether I mean artists as in drawing and painting, or whether I mean artists as in musicians, or whether I mean artists singing and acting on Broadway. This is an athlete who, when he was younger, was a young man who got callbacks for major shows, Jersey Boys. He was getting callbacks there. He had an opportunity to, to play the, the, the backup for Simba uh, in The Lion King. I mean, this was real stuff, acting in commercials. He's an incredible young man. And now, hey, by the way, Danny, this is a Mizzou commit. This is where you said, hey, I don't have a ton of depth on him. You talk to him. He's a Mizzou commit. You can geek out. I can, you can give me 15 seconds on Mizzou, right? I can give you 15 seconds on Mizzou. I think that that program, that program is going to be a big deal this year. I think that everyone underestimates Mizzou every year in the SEC now, and this guy can put them on the map. By the way, they had a couple of high draft picks um, in the 2020 draft, so don't underestimate the Missouri Tigers. What is it, by the way, it's an understudy when you're not the starring role of Simba? Are you the understudy? You're the understudy. Is that what you're – you're the, so he was the understudy. I think I called him a backup. That's a Broadway insult. Enough <laughs> of me. Listen to this young man and listen closely because if you skip ahead or miss the end, you've missed the entire impact. His bat is impactful. His arm is impactful. He's committed, and this is going to be a pro baseball player someday, but he may just be an incredible singer, singer and actor. Listen to this. Juju Stevens, I'm excited to see you again. We saw each other for, for a little while at Fort Myers at the Worldwood Bat Association World Championship. Um, man, you could play. I mean, you, you can play. And, and, and so with that in mind, take me back to Frankie's Fun Park when you were six years old, uh, when you fell in love with the game. I cheated. You shared this story with me. But I've got to know, from what I saw just within the last couple of weeks, to when it all started for you, how did it all start? Yes, yeah, sir, definitely. So... It was around my fifth birthday. My parents brought me to Frankie's Fun Park, sixth birthday actually, and they put me in the batting cage. And it was the pitch was throwing 75 miles an hour, which at the time 
seemed like Chapman was about five feet away throwing as hard as he could. <laughs> and I swung and missed a few times. And then I started making contact. And I noticed people started gathering around to see the about three foot nothing kid holding a baseball bat. And I looked around and I was like, wow, people enjoy watching this. And it made me feel like I was an entertainer and it kind of like sparked interest for me immediately. All right, let's pause baseball for one second because a lot of your childhood was then spent in entertainment. Yes, um, you know, the honor of being on Broadway and, and getting callbacks for uh, Motown the Musical for being, you know, an understudy of the role of Simba and the Lion King on Broadway. When did that passion come? And was that even before baseball, your passion to sing and to act and to be on stage? Yes, sir, definitely. My mom, I can remember if I was like eight years old, we would go in her room, me and my two older sisters, and she would hold talent competitions to get us used to being and talking in front of people. And I remember my um, signature move back then was doing a power slide as I sang. So my mom always got a kick out of that, but just my whole family, they've been really musically inclined and they really help us reach our potential, whether that's for baseball, academics, or in um, entertainment. Your dad is Julian, right? And yes, uh, your mom is Keela, is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so I've got to know as someone who's, first of all, a, a real huge fan of attending Broadway shows myself, I've got to know what that experience was like and maybe just one anecdote about being a part of, let's say, The Lion King. Anecdotally, give us, give us from your mind's eye what happened. What was it like? Well, it was really awesome because although you were a, a kid going to the callbacks and auditions, you had to kind of hunker down and stay focused. Sure, everything's cool. You see um, how the people like put the makeup together and how the show comes together. But when the, the person shuts the door, you kind of wave goodbye to your parents and you just have to get to work. So it was awesome like at such an early age to have to be focused like that. So let's go back to baseball now, right? And all you're accomplishing and things are happening. And now you get a little older, teenage, early teenage years come, you're getting stronger. Was baseball always alongside with the acting? Was it always right there with the acting going side by side? Yes, yeah, sir. It definitely was up until my early teens when I realized that a lot of the time that I would spend traveling back and forth to New York City for auditions was a, a day that I couldn't go practice and throw my dad. So I kind of started to take a step back and realize that if I really wanted to do baseball, I might have to take back some of the traveling aspect. And so baseball won out, right? Baseball won out in that opportunity in your life? Yes, sir. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember a significant moment, whether it was talking with your family, talking with a friend or a coach, where you thought, I'm pretty good at this. I'm not that six-year-old kid in the cage anymore. I'm growing up. I'm getting more physical. I might say goodbye, at least at some level, to acting. What was that moment? It was... Right when I remember one of my, I have a friend who was four years older than me at the time, and I was trying to fall into his footsteps. So everything he did, I would want to do four years after. And my dad kind of, he sat down with me and so my mom, they said, no matter what you do, we want you to put all of your effort and focus into it. So if that's you trying to sing somewhere, we're 100% behind you, or if that's you wanting to play baseball for the rest of your life, we're behind you on that too. So I, after that conversation, I 
talked to my grandfather and my grandfather said, Juju, I feel like I could see you in the stadium somewhere. And that's the moment that I kind of turned the switch. Wow. What's his name? His name was Humphrey. Wow. That's incredible. Your grandfather shared that wisdom with you. Is he no longer with us? Yes, sir. He's no longer with us. Wow. You honor him, I would imagine, with this, this game of baseball. Yes, sir. I always make sure to put the um, day he died on all of my baseball bats and in my hats. That's incredible. I, think, I, I thank you for sharing that with us, a personal moment. I appreciate it. Uh, so I, I'm guessing he would have loved what you did at, let's say, the 17U WWBA. Those are, those are the kind of events where you turn heads. And not long after your commit to Mizzou came and you're going to be in the SEC. Um, so when someone homers three times and doubles a couple of times in an event like that, um, what went right for you? Uh, you know, look back on whether it was approach, your mentality, your swing, something you learned about your swing going into that WWBA. What went right for you in that event this summer? I think half of it came from not having a spring season and mm. being really fired up to kind of show the world what I've been doing in preparation all year. So when I got to, into the box and I felt like my mindset was where it needed to be and I was just confident in my swing because I had worked on it for that entire spring up until then. And you went off. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you went off. What, what was that like to start? You had heard from folks. You lost your junior season. You had heard from folks. But then all of a sudden, that event opens up East Coast Pro. You go and you play very, very well. Um, you do the verbal with Mizzou. What's that like to start getting feedback from a lot of the top programs in the country from your eyes? It was awesome. It honestly felt like everything started to speed up all of a sudden. And like all the times I'm throwing my dad, it seems like it was paying off. It's not going to the fields when nobody's watching and for nothing. It was awesome to kind of get some recognition. And even with um, Verbal to Mizzou, be able to kind of move in the next, move to the next level, something that I've been dreaming about for forever. Yeah, can you see it? I mean, as your grandfather said, can you see yourself in a stadium with, you know, now there's even in something like the World Series here recently, there's only a couple thousand, but again, there'll be 50,000 in yeah. stadiums. Can you have it? Have you had that daydream? As someone who's as creative as you are, have you had that dream of being in front of 50,000 and performing as a, as a baseball player? Yes, sir. I definitely have. I, I My dad kind of jokes with me because he always says, like, I think stuff out too much. I try to think of that moment so when I get there I won't be overwhelmed so I think about that constantly what does it look like what, what does that look like it, it, let me put my VR goggles on with you and tell me what it looks like from your mind it's it's like an aerial view you like you, you can't see any faces you just see like the flash of phones going off because everybody's taking pictures nobody's on the field but you just see like the most pristine field just below you almost like like the field of dreams um, picture. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. A little different than, you know, a packed house on Broadway, certainly, night after night after night. A very, very different kind of a goal and a dream. Uh, I'm going to reach a little bit. Now, this part I didn't, folks, I promise, I didn't I didn't check with him, but uh, how, how good are you at an impromptu request for any sort of a song? Are, are you? Are, can you nail something for me? If I know the song, I can definitely nail it for you. Why don't you choose, you choose what you'd like to share with us and we'll listen. Okay, Maybe so. You can give us a heads up of what you'd like to sing to get, get your mind right. And then uh, you choose what you'd like to share with us and we'll just listen and enjoy. 
Ooh, there's since I feel like it's, it's um Christmas season. I gotta gotta go with some sort of Christmas song. It's um I forget who it's by, but it, um I think the the name of it's um hang all it's like hang all the mistletoe. Okay, I'll, I'll sing that for you guys. We we'll just right. take a little slice. I appreciate this, Juju. This is cool. We're listening there. Okay, so hang all the mistletoe. I wanna get to know you better. This Christmas and as we trim the tree, how much fun is gonna be together? This Christmas, fireside blazing bright. We're caroling through the night. <laughs> wow. Wow, man. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. I, thank you. I really do. Hey, listen. Thanks for hanging out with me for a few minutes. Um, we didn't get enough time as we wanted to recently in Fort Myers, so I wanted to do this, you know, virtual connection. And uh, now we're blown away by your voice. Everyone's talking about your bat and your speed, but now your voice is incredible too. Hey, happy holidays to you too, my friend, and thanks for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Returning to Scout's eyes, David Ronsley, who has scouted for three and a half decades, PG's vice president of player personnel. He's seen so many players play. I love his contributions this week. First up, the best pitchers he ever saw in person pre-2010. Hey, this is Dave Ronsley with Perfect Game, and I'm going to talk to you about the rankings today in a little different way. I've been scouting with Perfect Game for 18 years and in the baseball industry for 32 years, so I like a historical perspective on things. And a question I always get asked at showcases, or frequently asked, I should say, is who are the best pitchers you've ever scouted? And it's strange how I'm never asked who the best hitters are that I've ever scouted. It's always the pitchers. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some of these guys. And the first group I'm going to do were sort of the guys from the old days, the pre-2010, maybe when people didn't throw 100 every, you know, every time they went out to the mound. So I'm going to give you four from before 2010. Um, one of my favorites, Scott Casimir. Um, from uh, from Texas, he was so good. I think he was the first pitcher that Jerry Ford, you know, the president and founder of Perfect Game, ever fell in love with from a Perfect Game perspective. He was such a competitor, 93-95, with one of the best sliders you've ever seen. I always called it a curveball because he threw it with such big depth, but it was 80 to 83 miles an hour. So Scott Casimir is definitely on that list. And we might as well stay in Texas then and go with Josh Beckett. Um, Josh Beckett was really the only right-hander who was seriously considered to be potential 1-1 overall in the draft. Josh Hamilton was picked one, of course, and then Beckett went number two. But Beckett at Spring High School in, in 1997, 1998 was so dominant, he, he would just throw his change up in between innings for scouts to evaluate it because there was no reason for him to throw it in games because his mid-90s fastball and his breaking ball were such dominant pitches. All right, moving on to another pre-2010, Zach Reinke. You know, I've talked about Zach a lot. He wanted to be a position player so bad, but I think everybody knew that his, his future role was on the mound, and of course that's shown very true. Um, but back in high school, he, he matured as a senior. He, when he concentrated more on pitching and really exploded, and I especially remember him seeing him a couple weeks before the draft, the uh, 2002 draft at the Florida State All-Star Game. And it was upper 90s. It was one of the most miserable weather days I've ever been at. 
And he threw 95-96 for two innings, and I don't think he even broke a sweat. Just threw the ball exactly where he wanted to. He was ready to go. Ended up signing out of the WWB 18 and under that summer. Um, and lastly, a player you may not have ever heard of, a pitcher, um, by the name of Bobby Bradley. Well, back in 1999, Bobby Bradley was a first-round pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he never made it to the big leagues because of elbow issues. But Bobby Bradley had maybe the best curveball I have ever seen on a high school pitcher. It was a weapon. It was 76 to 78, even when he was throwing in the mid-80s. It was not hittable at that level. And Bobby was a live wire personality, and other players gave him a lot of grief, you know, a lot of banter from the dugouts. And whenever he got angry at another team for talking too much, he'd start flipping his glove and signaling curveball. And I was at a game once where it was bench clearing because he started signaling the curveball and throwing it. Nobody was going to hit it. So pre, let me summarize pre-2010, Scott Kazmier, Josh Beckett, Zach Greinke, and Bobby Bradley, four of the best pitchers I've ever scouted. Back to David Ronsley from earlier, Perfect Game Scout, Scout's Eyes to Segment. Again, these are the best arms he's ever seen in person since 2010. Let's start it off with Lucas Giolito. Um, saw Lucas Giolito in 2010, 2011 from Southern California. Uh, big, big, strong young man back even then who, who threw so hard, so easy. You have to remember in 2010, 2011, we didn't have guys going out and throwing 97, 98, 100 as frequently as we do today. And Giolito was easy upper 90s, but I was reading my notes on him today and it said, believe it or not, his curveball is a better pitch. And that was back when TrackMan was just beginning to get their product. It wasn't on market yet. They were, they were testing it out. And I remember sitting next to the TrackMan guy out in Long Beach, and he, his Giolito's curveball was 3,200, 3,300 RPMs, which is, is, is world, world class. Okay. okay, Lucas Giolito, let's move on to Jose Fernandez, the late and great Jose Fernandez. Pitched the best game I've ever seen in 32 years at Jupiter in 2011. Um, was 93-96 the entire time this was in the quarterfinals at Jupiter. Um, you know, awesome slider, breaking ball, whatever, curveball, whatever you wanted to call it. And through, I think it was five shutout innings against a very good Dallas team. And the only two hits off them this game were by Trevor Story and Josh Bell. You had to be a future big leaguer to hit Jose Fernandez that day. And I felt after the game that he could have pitched in the big leagues. His command, his stuff was so good, he could have definitely got big leaguers out that day. Sal Freelick, do you know the name? You're going to know it now, and you're going to know it certainly next July at the MLB Amateur Draft. Grew up dreaming of going to Boston College. He goes to Boston College. He dominates on the baseball field, an elite athlete. And as Danny said when we started this podcast, elite hockey, elite football, elite baseball, but elite family. And you know what this podcast is all about. We want to get to know Sal Freelick, the player. Let's scout him up a little bit. This has happened so fast for you. And what I mean by that is you earned the right to, to play at a high level football, hockey, baseball in high school at Lexington High School. But I'd like to know what your senior year baseball was like. I mean, were there scouts around? How many did you communicate? Uh, you always dreamed of going where you go to school right now at BC. But tell me about your relationship with professional scouts a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, in high school, it was very minimal. I think maybe one or two with a text here and there. And um, I had no interest really in the draft my senior of high school. And um, I think that just credited to, you know, not playing baseball year round and um, going around and doing a ton of showcases. It was more um, prioritizing competition and playing multiple sports year round. And um, I kind of wanted to do that all through high school. And 
Um, just said I, I'll stick to baseball when, when the time comes in college. So you had these moments your freshman year that no one's supposed to have. I mean, your first handful of games were laughable that you settled in that quickly. And I mean it respectful to the sport. Look, I played and failed at a bunch in the minor leagues and college too, but you were a joke. I mean, your first couple of weeks as a college baseball player were a joke. Why so comfortable so quick? And maybe better the question is, what did you learn about yourself in the fall that immediately translated into the spring? Yeah, I mean, so that fall, actually, I, I was kind of out my freshman fall. with I got surgery coming in, so I actually didn't play any fall ball. Um, and I didn't really pick up a bat until we got back from winter break around January. Um, and I was just kind of to my last point. I mean, in high school, I, I would never pick up a bat until January normally because um, I'd either be playing football or hockey. And then, you know, January, February rolls around. And it's like, oh, now it's time for baseball. So I think kind of living my life, my baseball life like that in high school kind of just translated to college where, that, that time rolled around and it was like, oh, this is baseball time. So um, it kind of just, the transition was the same for me and it, and it felt comfortable. So I think that's just kind of where the um, comfortableness came from. And, and this is just to follow up with the numbers and I want Danny to jump in. For all of our listeners to this podcast, in his first eight college games, he had 16 hits. He had four walks. He was hit by a pitch. He had 11 stolen bases. Folks, his first eight college games, he got on 21 times and stole 11 bases. That's ridiculous, dude. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Uh, sorry, D. I just had to follow up with those numbers. <laughs> no, we like the numbers. The numbers are super important. I'm going to add one more. Uh, going back to high school, though, 52 touchdowns as a senior Gatorade football player of the year for Massachusetts. How did you take your love for football, your passion for that game, set it aside, and then use everything you learned from that sport and apply it to your future? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a tough uh, sport to give up. Um, especially senior year, throwing the pads away. But um, sort of that aggression that comes with football is kind of how I like to play baseball. And what I'm kind of working on now as a baseball player is just controlling that aggression and making sure I don't always have that football mentality. But uh, um, there are some situations on the baseball field where I think it definitely comes out and um, allows me to play to my game. So still working on a little bit of it, but I would definitely say that uh, the whole football and, and even hockey experience has definitely helped me out as a baseball player. Reading a little bit about you in you have this quote that I was kind of drawn to. You said, when the lights turn on and I'm between the lines, I feel that I can compete with the best of them. And I love that you said that when the lights turn on. So can you kind of expand on what that means for you and give us like a visual? What, what do you look like? What do you sound like? You know, what kind of emotions do you display when that happens? Yeah, I've always found that just because I think I'm such a strong competitor that I think I play my best game, whatever that is, um, in the most high pressure moments, whether it's, you know, in high school it was fourth quarter tie game or, you know, in college it's bottom nine, run around third, two outs. Like I always want to be in that situation. I always want to make the last out. I always want the ball getting hit to me. And I found that the more that my mentality can be focused around that, then um, the less thinking I'm going to do and the easier the game's going to come to me. And I've kind of just um, adapted to that at the college level. I think that's kind of what's allowed for that really smooth transition from, from high school to college. Sal, I'm always intrigued by families, and, and maybe I separate myself different than some of my colleagues, not because I wanted to get lost. You're writing your own story, my friend. You're your own man, your own adult. You are the story, but I know you and your Italian heritage, a lot of respect to you for your family and who they are, but man, athletes. Like, let's start with mom and dad. Your mom bowled in college at UConn, right? And, and your dad played college football at Pitt. So I'd love to know some of the conversations growing up you had with mom or dad 
about athletics specifically, where it wasn't about technique or skills, but just where you learn to get better mentally or physically from mom and dad. You had two great parental athletes around you. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think my dad was obviously the, the first motivator, just putting, you know, football, you know, baseballs in my hands and then saying, just go outside and have fun. But um, I can't give my mom enough credit. You know, she was really the one during the day that had us outside. Um, and, and to your point, it was nothing about technique. It was just how many times you want to throw a ball, how many times you want to go hit. Like, I'm going to be here for you. We're going to do it as much as you want because um, that's where I want to see you succeed. And that just kind of translated to middle school and travel ball and then high school where, you know, their support was just endless for me and, and my other siblings as well. And, um, you know, driving us to events and, you know, paying for hotels and trips and stuff like that just to watch us play and have fun um, and ultimately succeed. So, you know, I definitely owe it all to them, but it absolutely started with them. So you may face a kid next summer if he jumps quickly. His name's Shane Panzini, and he's based in Pennsylvania. Throws high 90s, right? He's a high schooler, though. You've earned your rights as a college player. But his mom did the same thing. Get out of the house. I don't want you in the house. You have siblings. You have friends. Put the computers down. Put the video games away, the smartphones away. Uh, I'm hearing a little bit of Shane Panzini's mom when I hear uh, about Patty. Patty basically <laughs> said, boom, out of the house. Go be active, right? Yeah, that was it. It was come home from school, do your homework. And then as soon as it's done, it's I'm locking the doors until dinner. You go outside. Um, I was play with the kids down the street, play with each other. I mean, we were making up games, but I think that just whole experience of always being outside and um, just doing different things out there and having fun. Um, just kind of that same mentality that you can carry onto the field and always having fun and, and just being grateful for the game. I'm always really impressed when families have multiple kids not only in college, but playing sports. And you're clearly super passionate about your siblings and what your parents have provided for you guys. So older brother, senior at Northeastern, but your sister, Francesca, is a freshman at Duke playing softball, but had massive accolades in high school for playing hockey, um, which I love, ice hockey. And um, I, I'm just so impressed by. So maybe could you brag on your siblings for a second and kind of give us an insight into what it's like being, um, you know, one of the three of you guys? Yeah, I mean, so my brother, obviously, just being the oldest in the family, he, he's definitely kind of the leader. Um, so we played together in high school in baseball and hockey, and he was my captain, my you know, junior years for both of them and just watching him lead um, and kind of watching his development as an athlete was, was super cool for me. And just to kind of take some of his experiences and then um, be able to play that out with my own has been super helpful. And he's still, you know, here for me along the ride, but um, we are kind of cross city rivals right now. So we, we kind of jaw at it when we're on the diamond, but uh, it's all fun and games when we're home. And, yeah. My sister was, uh, she, she left public school. She went to a private school and um, really wanted to excel on the ice and on the field. And um, she really didn't know what she wanted to play, you know, kind of the same as all of us, just being multi-sport athletes. Our whole vision was just, you know, what sport can we play at the highest level for the longest time? And um, I think baseball and softball kind of just came knocking first. And um, I remember when she committed to Duke, it was an unbelievable day for us. We were so proud of her. And um, it was kind of crazy that she's down there now um, all by herself because, you know, we stayed in Boston close to home. But she mm -hmm. was all excited to get out, get out of the city. So, uh, but no, I know she's excited to be home now, um, but just kind of, all of us being so close in age and all playing sports and it's always so competitive in our household just um, was really allowed us to, you know, excel in the field. You guys go home, especially for Thanksgiving, for the holidays. What are game nights like with you guys? I imagine like boards flying, pieces everywhere, cards in the air. Give us a picture of what game night is like with you guys. Yeah, we usually have to try to keep it girls versus guys just because when we intertwine, it's usually too much like inter-team fighting. But uh, so it's usually mom and sister versus the boys. And uh, uh, we always have fun with it. It's something we really like to do when we come home. 
Um, and, and again, it doesn't really matter what we're doing, whether it's like we're playing each other, you know, in an actual game on the baseball field or we're playing mm -hmm. 500 rummy at home. It's like we're going to give the same effort and jaw at each other like we like we normally would. Francesca is sis. She's going to Duke. Nico, the crosstown rival at Northeastern. I'm going to read a scouting report um, about you from your freshman year. Just just talk to me about it. I mean, when you hear it, I'm sure you've read it or someone has shared it with you. It comes from a perfect game scout that made the trip to watch you play. Here's a here's a, a few of the lines and just expound. You're talking to an old minor league player myself. Discipline approach not often found in a true freshman starting in the ACC. He tracks the ball to either side of the plate working the count in his favor while utilizing a shorter, quick, linear stroke to the zone, which undoubtedly has helped yield a very high on base percentage. Uh, take that deeper. I mean, is, do you feel comfortable with what was said about you and take that deeper? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he kind of said that it was sort of like a quick, a quick twitch swing. And I think that's exactly right. I think um, my swing isn't something that's long where I'm going to miss the baseball a lot. I think I really base my gameplay, especially at the plate. I'm not striking out and putting the ball in play. I think my speed plays. So especially when I'm down the count, when I put the ball in play, I find that I'm getting on base a lot, which kind of just um, equates to that, that on base percentage, which I think um, I like to, you know, play for a high one every year, but um, that, that sort of quick twitch swing um, where, I, where I don't like missing, you know, especially fastballs early in the count and um, it just kind of helps me put the ball in play. So um, I completely agree with that. And I think that's kind of what I like to emulate my game on. So from being Mr. To use your words, kind of raw baseball guy when you graduated until we're sitting here talking around the holidays of 2020, what area of your game specifically has improved the most? Or you'd say, Sut, uh, night and day. This was a this was a shortcoming of mine that's now a strength. And one of the reasons I, I'm being talked about high in the draft, what area specifically of your game have you improved the most? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I was a I was an infielder in high school. And then since I've gotten to college, I've been kind of manning down the outfield. So I think right off the bat, just kind of that versatility as a fielder has definitely improved. And I'm still learning the the outfield position um, every day and, you know, really trying to get better at it. But I think since my freshman year till now, it's just been, I've seen, you know, monstrous strides there. Um, and then just from, you know, a, an offensive point of view, I think that um, I think just chasing pitches out of the zone is something I've um, really tried working on and just being more disciplined and uh, noticing off speeds um, down the count, just letting the ball bounce the dirt, not swinging over it is something that uh, I'm really trying to work on just so I can see those walks go up as well. Dude, I saw you, Homer, Oppo Field, Kentucky, pitch down and away. And you're smiling because, you know, I was that guy sitting in the bullpen watching it sail over my head. Those are things that I'm guessing didn't happen as much in high school. You've got to be confident. I saw a couple of big hits for you the other way. You've got to be, you know, heck of confident to let that happen. That has to be something that's grown too. the confidence. Like, Hey, I'm fast. I'm quick. I'll steal some hits with my speed, but you know, I'm, I'm confident letting it go almost to my back foot before I make a decision. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think I didn't hit my first home run until I was maybe a sophomore in high school, you know, my whole entire life. And I think that's just kind of always been the undersized guy, but um, you know, over the past couple of years, I've really, you know, really come into my body type and we have great um, strength conditioning coaches here have really helped me. Um, find what I want, you know, for how my uh, what weight I need to produce what I want on the field. And I think my power is kind of just just starting to come out a little bit more each year. And um, I think that I'm, I'm always gonna be comfortable with my speed and my hand eye coordination. But uh, if I can get that power up, um, which I'm starting to see a little bit, I think it'll be really cool. 
All right, last one for me. So I feel like you are budding into who you are going to be when it comes to baseball and people are finally giving you the the dues and and kind of like saying your name a lot more, right? That's that's part of the reason we wanted to talk to you, but outside the field, outside uh, wherever you are playing sports, who are you as a person? What are you interested in? Where do you give your time to? Who do you give your time to? Um, kind of give us an insight into the person uh, behind the player. Yeah, I mean, super family oriented. Uh, we kind of touched on that. Um, you know, my family means everything to me. Um, I would say I'm, I'm a super religious person as well. It was a big choice in me coming to Boston College. Um, me and all my siblings are going on, I think, almost 11 years now, altar servers. So um, we'll, you know, I don't know if we'll have Christmas mass this year, but we'll go home and usually try to altar serve Christmas mass every year. Um, I love fishing. That's a big hobby. Me and my buddies took up this summer. Um, we used to go on the lake and um, we'd be catching trout and cooking it up for dinner. Um, so those are just some of the things that um, are important to me and I've kind of fallen in love with, you know, growing up. Love what is it? What, what is it? I'm sorry, D. What is it about as a, as a, as a, I'm a newborn Catholic. I'm only like, you know, four years old. I was a Protestant my whole life. I was one of them. Um, what is it about the faith that you feel like is comparable to preparing as an athlete? What is it, what is it specifically about the Catholic faith and maybe the, the discipline that goes into it that provides a, a bit of a roadmap for you as a man? Yeah, I mean, it just allows a backbone and kind of in my life and some, something and someone I can always rely on and just, you know, I wasn't always a, a really, you know, devout Christian and Catholic. It was something, you know, I always went to church when I was a kid, but I didn't really, you know, fall in love with it until I'd say around high school where I really started connecting with God. And there'd just be times where, you know, it's before a game or something like that. And, you know, I see I'm, I'm very nervous. And I was like, what's this sort of meditation I can get? And I just kind of always went to praying. And that's something that has kind of been in my process, you know, of pregame since, you know, I was a freshman in high school and it's just always calmed my nerves. And um, there's just sometimes moments on the baseball field or any field where I'm just like, I, I do something. I'm like, that was God right there. Like, I, don't, I really don't know how I did that. So just kind of those connections is something I can always rely on and fall back to, especially um, when those nerves start racking up. So for me, my final question is going to be, and we're all, you know, people are hearing this. This is a podcast, but truth be told, all you listeners, we're doing it through Zoom so we can see one another. But I'm going to close my eyes, and I know there probably isn't much room, but I'm grabbing a chair, and maybe it's one of the folding ones from the garage, and I'm, you guys are making room for me at, at the table. I'm, I'm sitting down. What's in the middle of the table? What am I eating? You know, you get to pick the meal that represents the Frelick family the best. And what are we talking about? Like we're, we're all, I, I get invited. It's just me. What are we talking about? What's for dinner? So you're going to get the antipas first. You got the tomato mozzarella, mm. olive oil, garlic salt. Um, we'll start you off with that. And then you'll have a ginormous bowl of spaghetti and meatballs. Oh. Um, we call it gravy in my household, but it's <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll have a separate pot for you there. Um, we got garlic bread all buttered up with garlic salt as well. We probably have a little bit of a, of a basil salad, something like that. But uh, we're just talking about life. I mean, our parents will make sure that, you know, they're checking on every kid. Um, we'll probably be me and my brother, my sister trying to one up each other the whole dinner um, and trying to impress whoever's there. What may it be you? Um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say that's the free experience right there. That's the best properly. answer, by the way, I think like I've ever heard <laughs> of a, of a invite us in and tell us what we're eating type answer. Honestly, like my mouth is watering. So thank you for that. Of course. <laughs> so if we ever talk with your sister, who's going to be a better guest? Does she top you? No chance. Absolutely not. 
No. Really? She'll be good. I don't think she'll taught me, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had to know okay. I was going to say that. Yeah, I understand. It's just, you know, we, this is uh, – we're baseball softball now here with yeah. Perfect Game, and so yeah. we're going to track her journey to professional softball or being a doctor, whatever she wants to do, you know, at her highest level while you're trotting around – hitting homers for the Phillies, we're going to be keeping an eye on her as well, okay? I love it. By the way, Sox fan? Are you a Sox fan? I'm a Sox fan, yes. Yes. Okay. And in through. Okay. That's all I got, D. That was great. Sal, man, thanks so much. We appreciate you. No, thanks so much, guys. I had a blast. Thank you. Every week on Amateur Hour, we try to take a slice of the great pizza pie, which is Hunter Pence hosting anything. And in this case, he is my co-host for Perfect Game College Baseball. You can find that each week, each Tuesday, 10 o'clock Eastern, ESPNU on Sirius XM channel 84, 10 o'clock Eastern. Hunter's amazing, right? Hunter Pence is amazing. And then we brought into the mix Eric Wedge. Eric Wedge, who managed old school style manager not that long ago with the Cleveland Indians and the Seattle Mariners. And now is the head coach at Wichita State. They're expecting great things again at Wichita State, like they had in the 90s. These two guys, by the way, Pence, Wedge, were meant to talk baseball together. That's amazing stuff. Eric, Hunter Pence here. And I got to tell you, um, reading some of your interviews and, and going over your career, you're in 14 different Hall of Fames. Um, you've, you've, you've done the, the road less traveled, the street credit and the baseball world. Uh, this, this is what like struck a chord with me. Minor League Manager of the Year, AAA Manager of the Year. I've been through those clubhouses. I've been through there, and I know what that takes. Uh, I just, I just like, I want to hear a little bit about, before we get into the college, and obviously I have some things I'm very excited about with what you did last year, ending on a 12-game win streak with Wichita State. But talk to me a little bit about that journey. Like you said, you, you, you've been through a little, you've seen every angle of the baseball world. Let me hear a little bit about those minor league stories. Well, you know, I was really fortunate. I mean, I, I got to the big leagues quick as a player, and I was done pretty quick. I ended up having like eight surgeries in nine years. So, you know, I was done by the time I was 29, started managing minor leagues when I was 30 with the Indians uh, uh, in their low full season uh, A-ball club. And, you know, I just learned so much along the way. I learned a lot as a player. You know, I always had the uh, presence as a player and somewhat of a leader on teams. And I just – that just it was an easy translation to uh, to managing. But uh, – you know, I've always talked to everybody just about being firm, fair, and consistent with your players. They have to know what to expect. And, uh, you know, you can't get too high or too low. You have to have fun. You know, I take the game seriously. I don't take myself too seriously. So we're able to come out here and have some fun and get after it. So, uh, But so many stories along the way, no doubt about it. The long bus rides and, and A-ball and, you know, 18, 19, 20 hours from time to time. And, you know, you get to AAA and, you know, I mean – Nobody usually wants to be in AAA. You might have a couple of young players there, but most people are better. So learning how to handle those personalities um, and just understanding what it takes to go from one level to the next. I think AA is probably the first true level when it comes to baseball. It really you know, can get it handed to you if you're not prepared for it. But obviously the biggest jump is going from AAA to the big league. So I was real fortunate because I was able to go from AAA to Cleveland to the big leagues as a manager at Cleveland. So a lot of those players for me in the big leagues, I had in the minor leagues. So, and that was like a complete rebuild and, Kept a couple of veterans, but that was it. And, uh, it was just a, it was a great path. It was a fun path. I learned so much. I'm still learning. Uh, and just a lot of great people along the way that helped me uh, be who I end up being. Jeremy Brown, scout's eyes. Here he goes. Notebook open. The arms in the 2022 class. In other words, who will be on the mound at the Perfect Game All-American Classic in the summer of 21? Hey guys, it's Jeremy Brown with Perfect Game. I'm going to take a couple minutes here to talk about the 2022 arms in the depth 
that we already have discovered a year away from really when it's their time on the circuit. And we're going to kind of break down the tops, which is easier said than done, as there's already a handful identified within the top 10. And we'll begin with Dylan Lesko, right-hander out of Buford, Georgia. Uncommitted, that's more so by choice right now. Came out every time he was on the hill. Seemed like it was a no-hitter or a perfect game. Somebody we saw at the Select Festival at 14U has really, really stepped up his craft. Now up to 94, 95 miles per hour. Pinpoint command. And just really everything you're looking for in a young pitching product. Sticking with the theme of right-handers, uh, you like to think about a year out, you kind of know who the top, top guys are going to be. But that wasn't the case with Nick Dugan heading into Fort Myers this past fall. His first perfect game event comes out, absolutely dominates up to 95, never dipped below 91. Pinpoint command, similar profile to Lesko in terms of right-handed prep arm that can dominate with your stuff or your command. And he's, throughout our new rankings, he jumped all the way up to number 10 in the country. Just behind him is right-hander Ian Ritchie Jr., a right-hander out of Washington State. Somebody who's been on the radar, but kind of like Lesko, has continued to elevate his performance in terms of velocity, in terms of his breaking ball. And he's an arm that we're going to hear a lot of, somebody we're going to know very much so over the next calendar year. Flipping it to the other side, we got left-handers, and we're, we're already loaded, stacked at the position between the two Vanderbilt commits, Brandon Barrera out of Florida and Noah Schultz out of Illinois. Kind of different in terms of physical makeup. Schultz a lot longer, six foot seven, I believe. Comes at you with a really difficult angle. Barrera, number five in the country overall, up to 94, 93 with his fastball. The breaking ball has really taken a big step forward. Similar to Dylan Lesko, Tristan Smith, he's ranked number nine in the country out of South Carolina. Not committed yet, certainly has his suitors who want him. It's really tough at bat, mid-90s, fastball from the left side, lower slot, hard slider, really swing and miss stuff. And it's only a matter of time before either him or Lesko are committed and off the board. All right, so Thanksgiving, we're so thankful for all of you who have tuned in, listened to this incredible episode of Amateur Hour, and listen, this is our third one, and I am maybe biased, Darren, but I think it's going pretty well, and the guest this week, Marcelo Meyer, this guy is so fun, he's so passionate, and you can hear it in his voice, and he's just getting started. That's the best part about Marcelo Meyer, and then Sal Freelich. Sal is a guy that if you don't know his name, if you're not following him on all social media, you better get on it because he's the one who is going to up baseball. He's going to make baseball better. I, I, I really do believe that. Um, and, and our scouts eyes, man, those guys come through every week. They bring the knowledge. They make us smarter. Darren, your interview with Juju Stevens always blows me away. And, and that guy's got incredible pipes. And of course, we want to thank Hunter Pence and Eric Wedge uh, in that awesome segment that we brought to you guys this week on Amateur Hour. Darren? Yeah, I think what I've loved the most about these first three episodes, six weeks worth of having conversations uh, in a world that at times can be dark, if you, you know, think about who you might listen to or let shape your worldview. Um, there's a lot of optimism amongst young people, amongst young people, a lot of optimism. And whether it be driven by their faith, whether it be driven by their family, certainly their, their athleticism and their sport, their education, the way they're, they're broadening their minds, there's a ton of optimism. And I find myself, as you do, I'm sure, Danny, um, around young people all the time. So we have this worldview 
that not everyone does. And everyone can opine on the younger generation. And as old as I am, it's almost two generations down. Everyone can opine about them. But until you get to know them, be careful how much you opine. Because my opinion is, especially amongst the athletes that we get to deal with, there's a ton of optimism and athletics, especially, but these will all be men and women that go on to have real jobs like we have. Um, there's a lot of optimism, a lot of excitement about the next 50 years in our world and in our globe. Um, in a year in which maybe it doesn't feel so much. Hey, talk to these kids all the time. You'll feel like there's a reason to be excited. That's all I we're got. So, yeah, we're no, we're so thankful for that. And, and the insights and being a part of their worlds, they let us in like, how lucky are we that they give us a chance to learn about them and then share their stories. So super thankful for that. Please rate, subscribe, comment, share iTunes um, and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Amateur Hour with Darren Sutton. I'm Danny Wexelman. We'll talk to you guys soon.